Welcome to Our Hen House. This is Marianne Sullivan. And this is Jasmine Singer. Thank you so much for being here with us this week. Jasmine has a great, amazing interview that's going to make you feel old, but really, really good. She's going to be talking to Haley Thomas. Haley, it was 19. Don't you already feel old? Well, maybe some of you don't. I do. She is a Jamaican-American international speaker, youth health activist, vegan food and lifestyle influencer, the youngest certified integrative nutrition health coach in the United States, and the founder and CEO of the nonprofit HAPPY, which stands for Healthy, Active, Positive, Purposeful Youth. She also recently published Living Lively, 80 Plant-Based Recipes to Activate Your Power and Feed Your Potential, which is a cookbook, but so much more. Okay, now don't you feel old? Yeah, I mean, Haley is going to make you feel amazing and emboldened and empowered and old. (laughs) 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 Because she's done, I mean, it's like kind of mind-blowing how much she's done already. Like, she's she's still a teenager, but she really started this organization a long time ago. I think she is going to be 20. 20 next month. Whatever. So She's still a teenager. Go. She's not that young. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was the senior editor at, at Veg News and we were doing a feature on a teenager, on like a 19 year old. And, you know, there's a lot of lead time when you're doing stories for magazines. And like by the time the issue came out, the woman was 20. And we were all like, oh, damn. Like it loses the cover line appeal, <laughs> like all the things. It's so funny. But anyway, oh, how quickly you can age. Haley is really incredible. And you'll find out why when you listen to my interview with her. And this week on the bonus segment, we'll be hearing more of my chat with Haley. And as always, if you're a flock member, which, you know, being a flock member is all the rage, you guys. So join the flock. You will get a link to the bonus segment in your email on the Tuesday after this podcast episode goes up, or you can always find it on the Flock Facebook group. And if you're not a member of the Flock and you can swing it, join us for $10 a month or $100 a year at ourhenhouse.org slash donate. And what a time to join this is, because between now and the end of the year, all dollars that we get over at our henhouse in any way, shape or form are being tripled. Not doubled, but tripled, thanks to our Barnyard benefactors and an anonymous donor who are tripling your dollar. So if you donate $10 a month, between now and the end of the year, it's counting as 30. If you donate $100, it's counting as 300, up to $20,000. Well, between now and the month, if you donate $10 a month, there would be two donations between now and the end of the year, right? So it would be 60. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. So anyhow, uh, keep vegan indie media alive. Understand the purpose and power of vegan, responsible, pro-animal, LGBTQ-run, women-run media and join us and become a flock member at ourhenhouse.org because there's so many perks that you'll get to being a flock member. You'll get that bonus content. You'll join our flock Facebook group. And why don't you tell us about the final and super duper awesome perk? Right. This is our pandemic perk. And <laughs> did that sound too chipper? Yeah, yeah, it it really does sound too chipper because actually the pandemic is still going strong and actually probably going to get stronger. Please, we want everyone to not let down your guard. In fact, get your guard up higher and, and really be careful because, you know, there is an end in sight. There really is. But before that, we have to get through some really tough times. Anyway, our effort to support everybody keeping uh, their guard up is for our flock to keep busy for at least one hour on Fridays with our flock Friday Zoom calls. And they are at 4 p.m. New York time. And sometimes we have guests. 
Our most recent one was Robbie Lockie, who was delightful. He is, of course, from Plant-Based News and was on a recent interview. Sometimes we just have a chat amongst ourselves. So if you're staying inside, and, and sadly, you do have to, and you're all alone, which sadly you probably should be, <laughs> oh, and you're a member of the flock, check out the flock Facebook group for updates or write to us at info at ourhenhouse.org. And join us on Friday. We'd love to see you. Also, Jen Riley, who's our director of operations, is making me do video thank yous to everyone who becomes a flock member right now. <laughs> so, she's she's very she's so tough. So you do get and you know you I like doing no videos. I get embarrassed, but then I like hit and then I always get embarrassed and uncomfortable and awkward and I change the lighting a bunch of times and then I go to Network for Good and I type in the person and I'm always so moved by any support that people give us that by the time I'm hitting send video, I'm like like so beyond grateful that I do enjoy it. <laughs> so anyhow, that's another little perk that you get. So before we get to the interview, I know that last week when we chatted, we were having super awkward timing because the episode went up on Saturday, but we record a few days before that. We were in that like stranglehold of not knowing what was going on with the election. How are you feeling now? I just want to point out to everybody that we have a new vice president and she's a woman. That's right, we do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you. Shockingly, okay. it's you. I like where you took this. Um, yeah, I, I <laughs> you got a you got a big promotion. I did get a nice promotion at Kinder Beauty to vice president <laughs> of content. Also, there was an election, and, and yes, there's we, a, another we have vice a, president a woman who's vice president, and yeah, well, who will be. God willing. My title at Kinder Beauty is Vice President of Content. And when Kamala became the vice president-elect, I texted my my boss at Kinder and I said, can I be Kamala of Content at Kinder Beauty? <laughs> and he said, yes. So Kamala is the new term for vice president. Apparently. I like what, it. I what, like a, it. what a time we're in. What a time we're in. What a time we're in. <sighs> Wow. We're going to have dogs in the White House. I'm so excited. They have a Twitter account. Did you see that? I did. Is that an official Twitter account? To my, I believe is it is. Doing that? No, I think it's it is. First underline dogs underline USA. And it's the Twitter account of Champ and Major Biden. Yeah, they said we promise to do everything in our power <laughs> to make sure that all shelter pets will be a priority. Dogs and cats alike, especially black ones who are not wanted as much. Stella, my cat, is like, yeah, right now. We'll always advise humans to rescue pets rather than buy them. Adopt, don't shop, rescue shelter pets. Is that's actually coming from the administration or the incoming administration? Oh, my God. I mean, not only I think it's Major who is the is the rescue. They had Champ first. and They got him as a puppy. And then Major was an adoption. Pointing out the black ones are uh, need special help. Like people don't even realize that, and and just the the, the idea that they're promoting adoption—it's just like it astounds me. It mm -hmm. it shouldn't astound me. It should be completely normal, but it astounds me. It's really incredible. I mean, during Biden's you know speech, just listening to him mention the underdogs, I was literally standing up in the middle of my living room, like cheering. You know, and then he mentioned, I don't care if you're gay or straight or transgender. Like, I was like, is this happening? I It was really cool. And, you know, there's a lot of, of work we have to do. And there's a lot really? of nervousness between now and the end of January. But, like, let's just take a goddamn moment. In fact, 
being an animal rights activist has prepared me for that because, you know, when you are an animal rights activist long enough, there are very few opportunities to like really celebrate. And so we must celebrate the small victories, not just Absolutely. not just with campaigns, but, you know, honestly, with our own lives too. celebration is a strong I don't know if it can be a value, but if it is a value or if it can be a value, it's a value of mine. I want to get a bunch of like small little champagne bottles like the minis, you know, because I want to just celebrate like throughout the day through. Well, OK, I'm not going to have champagne You're every day. start drinking. Wine no, no, I don't mean that. I think this is taking a hard bad <laughs> yeah, turn. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. I meant like, <laughs> let's celebrate when things happen in, you know, our lives. And, you know, I talked to a friend of mine the other day called me because he be, he got a new job position and he was nervous and he wanted to chat it through a little bit. I stopped him. I'm like, have you have you like patted yourself on the back? Because this is amazing. And, you know, he was like, I'm too nervous, too. And he and I was like, no, man, like get out either the sparkling cider or the champagne or whatever you want and like enjoy it. It is a fundamental human right to be able to celebrate and hope and 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 jump up and down and and we need to do it more often. Well, a lot of people were jumping up and down this week. And and people said something that really resonated with me. And this happened to me, too. Like, by the time the outcome of the election was announced, we kind of thought we knew, like, how you know, it wasn't a huge surprise. And yet I was completely overwhelmed with emotion. And I think so many people found that as well. Yeah. You don't even realize how much stress you are experiencing from something until it ends. You, like, don't let yourself... Mm-hmm. I, and and all of a sudden we allowed ourselves to say, uh, you know, wow, this is yeah. really happening. And it just really reminded me of what happens to people who become aware of animal suffering, mm-hmm. which is all of you out there. And, you know, we don't really get that relief. I mean, we may have small things to celebrate and it's hugely important to celebrate them. But we have that stress all the time because it's ongoing all the time. And and I think it's really important to remember that always and that we need to do other, we're we're never going to get, well, I shouldn't say never, but we're probably not going to get the really good news that nobody is abusing animals anymore for any reason. That seems, you know, a hard, (laughs) hard thing to hope for. I shouldn't even laugh. It's so sad. But there are other things that we can do to kind of relieve that stress because we don't even know it's there sometimes. It's just haunting in the back of our, in the back of our hearts. Yeah. All right. So I saw this thing on Twitter Mm -hmm. and it is a question that gets asked all the time. And yet it really struck me. It was a picture of, you know, faux chicken. And some asshole said, why do vegans always want to make their food look like the the food they're trying to avoid? Obviously, I mean, the answer is so obvious that it makes me crazy that people ask this. We don't hate the taste or not all of us. Most of us don't hate the taste of uh, fried chicken or steak or hamburgers or whatever. It's not the taste that bothered us. It's the suffering. So yeah. if you can have the taste without the suffering, why not? It's so obvious that it just drives me crazy that they ask this all the time. And you've got to wonder, like, why do they care? Yeah. What, like, what, what, is, what is bothering them in the fact that we can enjoy this food? Like, we're not forcing it down there. Well, I would like to make them eat it, but I can't. Yeah, it's missing the whole point, which is that exactly. there's deliberately there's a vegan version of everything, you guys. So why not take the alternative? I don't know. 
But yeah, that, you know, every now and then it's like you see something like that and it's like, really? Like, you don't get that? Because just by nature of posing a question like that, like someone is is just making a giant choice to avoid exactly thinking about it. These products exist. Right. Means that they're making a choice. Right. Yeah. They're choosing the suffering. And so they get all uh, crazy about it and just say stupid things. So it's just completely confusing to me. I guess it's just that, you know, it it does make them make that choice. Mm. And they never want to make that choice. They want to think it's inevitable. (laughs) Maybe it's not that confusing. But speaking of the things that make people furious, do you have any particular favorite, quote unquote, faux products uh, on your on your plate these days? Yeah. Now you're getting controversial. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, actually, yes. It's it's November. So it's it's Thanksgiving month, which, you know, I really, really hope that this month in particular, this year in particular, people can look inward a little bit more aggressively since we're looking inward due to the pandemic and due to all of the shifts that have been happening societally and extend their compassion to their plates too because a lot of people are are making the choice to choose goodness and kindness and compassion and so i i certainly hope that that cognitive dissonance melts away a little bit more than in years past and that they choose a vegan Thanksgiving. And with that in mind, I was trying to get a vegan Thanksgiving centerpiece and I really wanted the field roast celebration roast and it was I sold out. I do love the field roast celebration Me too. roast. Well, good, because you're coming over for Thanksgiving, pod, pod mate that you are. But I, uh, it was sold out like in like four or five different places and I started to get like scarcity issue anxiety and I did finally, <laughs> I finally found it. I can see you like being admitted to the mental institution saying. Uh, there was no celebration. I have, roast. I have celebration roast absence anxiety. Well, that's I how it felt. I can't handle it. Yeah, I mean, that's how it felt. I was like, wait, I understand that you can just have sides and make a really good Thanksgiving, but I want a roast. I really want a yeah, roast. No, I, I agree. And so I did there finally find other- it. But it would it just wouldn't work. The Guardian turkey cutlets. Right. I you had that at your house. house. You really like it. But because I bought it. it's because it's it's in cutlets instead of that doesn't work. In one piece, no, that doesn't, doesn't work. Count. Yeah, no, stop <laughs> stop offending me with this idea that it would work. Those are good though. Those are really good. Yeah, no, they were really good. I, I mean I like Guardian products, but that was a particularly good one. It must be weird to be like a food scientist or or not even just a food scientist, but to create products at a company like Gardein and like have to come up with like the different parts of what would make a, a faux chicken versus a faux turkey. Like it must be a weird thing. Like what? Because obviously the dead animal carcass oppression horror murder show that is the quote unquote real version of them tastes different. And so you must have to take those aspects of why they taste different and turn it into the faux version. Yeah. Do you think they have to taste like real dead turkeys? Well, I don't know. There must be some non-vegans like on staff. Who do, I have I have no idea. Does that mean that they're not vegan because animal products were used in their preparation? OK, moving on. No, I don't know. We are not <laughs> saying that. We are not saying that. No, we're not. We're definitely not. And you're going to you're just going to freak out when you see. What our second, ve- I, I have looked over the vegan businesses that we're going to be talking about, but you have not. Let's transition. Let's talk about them. You're going to freak out okay. when you see what the second so one is. The, v- the RNS supports vegan businesses program is uh, 
is something that we started earlier this year when we recognized all these businesses that were going out of out of business. And the vegan ones in particular break our little hearts when they happen. So we just want to, you know, get people listening to this to follow these companies and these businesses on Instagram or on Facebook or if you're nearby them or if they're if they're mail order, patronize them, keep them in business, show the love. And with that in mind, uh, the first do you want me to do the first one and you'll do the second one? Why don't I do the first one and you can do the second one? Because as you are talking about it, you're going to freak out. The first one, which I'm sure is also excellent. It's just that I haven't personally tried it, is Misha's Kind Foods. And this is a Black-owned, L.A.-based plant. You may be familiar with it since they are L.A.-based. Plant-based dairy alternative company. was co-founded by Chef Ian Martin and Aaron Bullock in 2018. And California has actually certified and licensed them. California has these crazy laws about who can call themselves a dairy company, but it, it has certified them as a dairy company, and which I know is really hard to get. And that allows them, they're now allowed to legally use the word cheese on their cheeses. And I think that should really like help promote their business. And they also signed with Choice Foods, which is a broker who's helping bring their foods to the world stage. So look forward to that. Right now, you can find them at many stores in the L.A. area, and you can also find them online at MishasKindFoods.com. That's M-I-S-H-A-S-K-I-N-D-F-O-O-D-S.com. They make uh, cream cheese spreads, aged hard cheeses. They use cashew and almond milk base, which is blended with various locally sourced fresh herbs, vegetables, and spices. This sounds so good. Their products are all lactose-free, gluten-free, paleo, keto, kosher perev and 100% vegan. Mm, that's amazing. So, okay, again, if you're not LA-based, make sure you follow Misha's Kind Foods. Yeah, and you can, you can order them. Okay, cool. All right, great. All right, Um, I know what I'm doing after we finish this recording, especially because it's like the evening right now and that's when I get all shoppy. <laughs> uh, okay, so the next one is Lily's Vegan Pantry, liliesveganpantry.com, and I know that you're really excited about this. Are you looking for a vegan centerpiece for your holiday meals? Yes, I yes. am. <laughs> Check out the huge selection of vegan meats. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Are you serious? I just like did backbends looking no, you for have the field to keep roast. going. The big surprise okay, okay, okay. is still to come. Check out the huge selection of vegan meats at Lily's Pantry, which offers shipping across the U.S. Once upon a time, this family owned and operated company was called. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, sorry. I'll contain myself. Once upon a time, this family owned and operated a company called Maywa Vegetarian Market which was Marianne and my favorite place on earth. It was like Disney World for us. We would go there from our apartment in Soho and buy them out of everything. Sorry, I digress. It was That's located, an exaggeration. It was located in the heart of Chinatown in New York City, where, oh my God, we did. We shopped there all the time. And their goal is the same as it's been for more than two and a half decades, to offer healthy, delicious, and enjoyable vegan alternatives and to raise awareness about the benefits of consuming a cruelty-free diet. Uh, hello? Browse liliesveganpantry.com. Yes. And check out all of their products, including their vegan ham, chicken drumsticks, smoked duck, or check out their sampler packs with a variety of options and gift cards for the holidays. Um, Holidays are coming up. I want holiday presents. So gift cards it is. 
liliesveganpantry.com. I'm dying. I'm dying right I think, now. Uh, I think their social media is mostly under Maywa, which is M-A-Y-W-A-H. So Jesus. you can also find them on social media. But you probably don't want to do that unless you're going to order because it'll just make you cry. I'm so happy. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy right now. Thank you for giving me this gift. And literally getting me a gift of a gift card. <laughs> anyway, go. All right. So let the interview right. is another gift. And I want to give yes. that gift to you because you haven't heard yes. it yet. And you're going to listen and no, you're going to have your mind interview. blown and you'll feel old. So Haley Thomas became a vegan activist in 2010. And that was after her family successfully reversed her father's type two diabetes with healthy eating and lifestyle choices. This this obviously had a huge impact on her. And Upon learning that kids were also increasingly being diagnosed with conditions like diabetes, heart disease, obesity. Since then, she has personally engaged over 90,000 people, empowering young people to prioritize self-care and nurture introspection to cultivate healthy and purpose-lived lives. You know the term influencer, and I never really am sure what an influencer is when, when the kids talk about influencers these days. Haley Thomas is an influencer. Unfortunately, she is influencing people in the, in the right way. She's also the founder, CEO of the nonprofit Happy and the author of Living Lively. And she'll be joining Jasmine right after this. We're excited to announce Encompass Essays, Pursuing Racial Equity in Animal Advocacy, a collection of essays written by farmed animal protection advocates who are committed to exploring and prioritizing racial diversity, equity, and inclusion as we work to create a more just animal protection movement. The authors, myself included, are a group of advocates who wish to document our stories and processes in an exploratory space from which we can grow. And we would like to hold ourselves and our peers accountable and create new ways forward. Encompass Essays is a collaboration between our henhouse, Encompass and Sentient Media, and I'm truly honored to be the editor on this essay collection. The only way to be an effective animal activist is to centralize anti-racism around our advocacy. Encompass is a nonprofit working to make the farmed animal protection movement more effective by fostering racial diversity and inclusivity. Sentient Media, where the essays are rolling out, is a robust digital platform that reports on animal agriculture and its impact on the world. This essay collection is providing a new and necessary way forward, one in which we can all be held accountable for doing exactly what I just said, for centering our anti-racism in this fight to end the exploitation of animals. Beyond the digital presence for Encompass Essays, which includes plans for audio versions of the essays, which will air here on the Arhenos podcast next year, Lantern Media will be publishing an anthology version of the collection in both hard copy and digital form. Down the road, we will parlay the work of the collection into a springboard for digital panels, collaborative discussions, and hands-on trainings. And in addition, the hope is that this is the beginning of a three-part series where the authors will revisit our anti-racist work and provide updates to be published in future follow-up collections. So you can learn more at sentientmedia.org slash encompass dash essays. Again, it's sentientmedia.org slash encompass dash essays. Welcome to our hen house, Haley. Thank you so much for having me. I've been a fan of yours for a really long time. I was introduced to your work a few years ago and... And I know that with my Veg News hat on, we've we've covered you in the magazine and mm-hmm. I enjoy following you on Instagram. So I've been really looking forward to this chat. 
So Haley, I have so much to talk to you about. I know that you have really forged an incredible career out of your activism and you are, are you, are you 19 still? Yes. Yeah. I'll be 20 in a few months. <laughs> well, happy birthday. Uh, that's amazing. I mean, you're an incredible, I mean, you, if you were three times your age, you will, you already would have done incredible work. But to think that at 19, you've done all of this is just extraordinary. But I understand it all started with your dad. Can you tell mm-hmm. us about that? Yeah, um, so really my introduction to wellness started through my dad um, when he was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes when I was around eight years old. And you know, I was, I consider myself to be a foodie, like from the jump, like I've always just been super interested in food and cooking, but the wellness aspect came in after his diagnosis. And when our family was really faced with this, you know, uh, choice to either have him take medication that had ridiculous side effects or to go on a path of alternative healing. And my parents have always been uh, the type of people to question everything. And so my mom really took it upon herself to look into alternatives. And through that, she discovered food was a huge way that she could um, potentially, you know, help make an impact on his health and really improve it. And so our family just took this entire journey of just learning about food and wellness, watching documentaries, you know, healthifying our favorite recipes and cutting down on animal products and and dairy, things like that. And through our efforts, you know, we didn't even go entirely vegan, but it was a lot more um, plant-based than ever before. And through that, we were able to completely reverse this condition. And so, you know, to me, that was so powerful. I had never seen this like real life example of just how powerful nourishing foods are, it was so much deeper than, you know, just being told to eat healthy. But I saw like an actual real life example of what that does to a person and and the enlightenment that I received just from, you know, watching a few things on factory farming and reading food labels, it completely changed my life and perspective on just how much I value food every day. And you know, I noticed that this education wasn't available to my peers in like a fun and digestible way. And so that's when I really kind of, you know, the wheels started turning in my brain on how I could show up and share what I'd learned with my, with my peers. And that's exactly why I think so many people are drawn to you because you take a proactive approach rather than just, you know, letting things sort of like letting diabetes take over your life or letting negativity take over your life. I really appreciate, especially because at our hen house, we like to be indefatigably positive. I really am drawn to the fact that you have so much of a proactive, positive approach also, which I think is probably the basis of happy. So I'd love to talk about happy. Tell us how it started. Yeah. So happy is my a nonprofit and it stands for healthy active positive purposeful youth and basically it started after i had been doing a little bit of advocacy work um for about 2 years or so just like community cooking demos um you know speaking on the power of kids really becoming leaders in their lives through food and getting into cooking as a creative canvas and all of those things. And I was doing a lot within the first two years of of my work. And it was a lot of like media and partnerships and fancy things and meeting like all of my idols and stuff. (laughs) And I was like, wow, this is crazy. But also I felt kind of 
I didn't feel like I was reaching my full potential in terms of the impact that I could truly make. A lot of the, you know, fancier, quote unquote, fancy stuff is not that fulfilling at the end of the day and is also not really tangible, I think, in in the ways that I was making an impact, at least at that time. Um, You know, there were no like social media communities like now or anything like that. And so I just felt like I would just say stuff and then that's where it would end. And so um, I wanted to bring like this fun and engaging and interactive and just really unique uh, wellness education experience to my peers. And you know, that's exactly how I learned about food was through like this exploration and adventure. And it was never a moment in my family where we were like stressed out about it. It was just this journey that we were on and we were all learning together and making these changes out of love. And I wanted to really embody that for, you know, my generation. And so that's really when my mom and I just started like brainstorming on on what we could do. And you know, both of us, obviously I was 12 at the time, so I had no like nonprofit founding experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my mom, she, you know, didn't have experience in that area either, but she's always had this entrepreneurial mindset and has passed it on to me. And so we were just like, okay, let's just try and see what happens. And And now, you know, we're like almost eight years down this path and, you know, over 40,000 kids around the world we've been able to impact through cooking demos and school tours. And now we're doing like online summer camps and, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the landscape has shifted so much, but also the foundation of happy has shifted dramatically based on just my own Uh, inner journey with food and, you know, eventually becoming vegan. So everything we do is plant-based, but we're also expanding our work into more holistic wellness. So including, you know, self-care education and and things that will help young people really build mental resilience and that positive, you know, growth mindset. So it's been very exciting and and such a surreal journey. Ultimately, I, yeah. (laughs) I like that you're, you're, teenage years were basically documented through the way happy has shifted. Like yeah. that's, you know, that you just mentioned that it's really changed as, as you've evolved. What are the three keys to the happy philosophy? Oh yeah. So I think that really for us, we wanted to, as we were redefining, um, happy and just the ways that we wanted to show up, I think that it was important for us to really, define that strongly and to be able to have like this core place that we could grow from. And so for us, our three keys are um, physical health, mental health, and then soul development. And I think that's something within the, you know, youth wellness education space is often missing. It's either, you know, solely about agriculture and, and, you know, learning how to garden or cooking and and things like that. But I think that having this holistic lens on wellness and sharing that with young people at an early age is so important. And so, um, you know, happy, our acronym represents a lot of different things and, you know, it wouldn't do it full justice if we, you know, just focused on food or just focused on physical, um, activity and things like that. And so really those three staples kind of allow us to have young people realize that their well-being is multifaceted and that there are so many ways to nourish yourself and to protect your energy and to step into your power and you know the things that you love and help others and that they're all interconnected. And of course you mentioned that all of the food is plant-based. So mm-hmm. when you started happy with your mom, you you weren't vegan yet or you were? 
No, I wasn't. So um, we went vegan. Our entire family is vegan now. We went vegan, what was it, six years ago? Yeah. So um, six years ago, we went vegan. And so we had been like a few years into happy at that point. But I mean, the change was pretty swift. Like once I started learning a lot about, um, you know, all of the impacts of, you know, standard American diet and just standard American lifestyle um, in regards to, you know, ethical reasons and also the environment, I was like, uh, I don't know about this. Like, I, I definitely need to reevaluate my lifestyle and just how I'm contributing to the world. And um, I just randomly like came across this article on red meat causing cancer. And then I was like, I don't know if I can continue to eat this way, knowing all of these, um, you know, all of the impact that eating, you know, meat and, and dairy and fish and all of these things, how that impacts the world in my own body. And so it was kind of just this moment where I was like, okay, I'm done with that. And overnight I just went vegan and I challenged my family to join me. And ever since this like random day in August, we've been vegan wow. for six years. Yeah. And so that immediately translated over to, to happy and, and what we teach. And it's been so amazing to really highlight just, you know, vegan foods and see that the kids don't even notice when they're so engaged in it and and it's delicious and, you know, it's relatable as well. I mean, we've had whole like, you know, culinary adventure camps and not once has any kid like asked, where's the cheese or the chicken or, Mm -hmm. you know, anything like that. Um, And I think that's been so cool to just show that this is an approachable thing it's something Mm -hmm. that can be accessible it's something that can be delicious and fun and that's really what we always want to want to share yeah I'm trying to think about how I want to ask this next question and the truth is I'm not totally sure I I partly want to say like Haley what do you see as the connection between boycotting animal products and being happy but it feels a little pointed to ask that uh i guess i i want to know if you think that there is a connection there between like maybe happy is uh too too broad for what i'm talking about but like when when you think about self actualization and authenticity mm-hmm. how does that connect with eating and living in a way that does not exploit others yeah you know i think it's it's a question that you know I I think there's no like blanket answer for, but because I think that it's important to not define what will create, you know, inner growth and and self-realization within everyone. Um, It's so complex. You know, the, the barriers to veganism are very much real, whether that's, you know, economically um, or, even just like not feeling welcomed into the community or, you know, cultural barriers or social barriers, whatever it may be. And Mm -hmm. so I think that to define it as like the end all be all to, you know, becoming your best self, I don't think that's a hundred percent. And I think there are a lot of like, there's a lot of ego in the vegan movement as well. But Mm -hmm. I would say that I think for me personally, um, veganism has been the catalyst for my spiritual growth and finding what really aligns with me. And I think that is what veganism um, encourages and supports is really stepping into your own like unique path and listening to your body and finding what works for you. And Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's unconventional. I mean, it's a little bit more reasonable to hear that someone's vegan, but it's still, you know, not a majority decision. And so I think that just in in being able to say like, hey, I'm going to go against the grain or what's expected or take care of my body and be considerate of the other beings on this planet and live by that example and, and through that truth that I found, I think that is so inspiring. And I think that's what has resonated with a lot of people, you know, vegan or not, in terms of my journey is that I never want anyone to feel badly for where they're at in their journey. And, you know, I absolutely understand the the barriers that can cause people to not go into veganism, even if it's just like addiction to cheese or anything like that. You know, I think that there's just so much uh, within ourselves that we have to unlock to get to veganism at times, but also, Mm -hmm. you know, for some it's an easy choice and for some it doesn't really create any growth beyond that. So I think that ultimately it's like what we do with the life decisions that we make and how we integrate and transmute those um, decisions and and find ways to share it with others. I think that's what creates that uh, greater growth and ultimately that understanding and self-knowing and um, that inner joy, I think. And it has to start with us. I mean, I think you're bringing up a lot of good points like regarding the ego that's oftentimes present within veganism and the kind of like just dismissing that it might be difficult for some people. Going vegan can be really difficult for some people. And and I like that you have a very compassionate approach to that. Like, hey, let's start with where you are. Let's not start with like what our beliefs are about where you should be. But it's, it's like a fundamental respect, which to me is what veganism is about. And you also mentioned that it, it does kind of require going against the grain. And that even just that truth brings a knee-jerk reaction up for a lot of people. Like, not everyone wants to go against the grain. Some people were sort of born to go against the grain. And some people are like, no, I'm going to stick here where, where everyone is because it's nice and comfy here. So what I see as uh, inspiring about Happy and the work that you're doing is that you're very approachable and accessible in terms of your messaging and your advocacy. So you mentioned teaching. Is that what the Happy Academy is? The Happy Academy is when you're going into schools? Uh, No. So the Happy Academy is an online platform we're building out right now to provide virtual um, wellness education. And so it will be like through videos and, um, you know, online activities and games to translate all the things that we teach in person. And it's actually something we've been working on and testing relentlessly for the past few years. And it's actually, you know, lining up to come out at the right time, it seems, you know, with everything going on and virtual learning being like the foundation of education now. And so I'm really excited about that. And we're, you know, just working on a launch soon, you know, hopefully within 2021. Um, But yeah, that's really what it's all about is just making this information even more accessible uh, through virtual format. How has COVID changed your programs for this year? Oh, yeah, dramatically. Um, you know, we typically do school tours. It's really our main like programming. So we'll go and visit uh, schools across the state and even, you know, in other states and do like breakout uh, activities talking about like reading food labels or seasonal foods or whatever we've got going on at the time. And we'll do like 
whole school demos and, you know, talk to like 700 kids at once and then break out into little groups of cooking demos afterwards. And so obviously that is um, not at all happening and has not happened since um, February. So we've really had to adjust, you know, as everyone has had to. And um, we've just been doing a lot of like Zoom stuff and testing it out. And like I mentioned a little earlier, we did a self-care summer camp online um, back in the summer. And that was awesome. We got to do a few different sessions and really test out this kind of new curriculum that we've been working on in regards to like that that self-care and, and soul care. And so we were able to like have the kids make affirmation jars and we got to do that together on zoom and, um, create like emotion potions and, and ways to handle our emotions during this time and really just choose what makes us feel good and be able to be, um, introspective. So we talked about, you know, reflecting and checking in on ourselves and gratitude journaling and all that good stuff. And these are like, nine, 10, 11 year olds that we were uh, talking to and getting to connect with. And it was really beautiful. I mean, kids are so perceptive and can connect the dots between what's going on in their own lives and the world so easily. And so it was really amazing to see that come out, but also to see this deep need for kids to be able to process what's happening. And that's why we're you know excited to just continue to build out the things that we've been able to test um, this year. And then we also did like an interview series with young change makers and had that, you know, happening as like an extracurricular activity for school students a little bit earlier in the year. And that was really great just for like inspiration. And so we were actually just doing a lot of things that were um, not typical for us to really just test those waters. And we're excited to kind of build it out from there. So let's talk about self-care for a second, because it, it sounds like you're doing a great job instilling self-care in young people who will hopefully bring that up with them as they grow and as they become adults. But for a lot of the people who listen to our hen house who are presumably already adults, <laughs> self-care can actually be challenging. We talked a few minutes ago about how veganism can actually be challenging for some people. And I think that like hashtag self-care is, is always very prominent, but yet for those of us who are very busy or who are very weighed down by the world today, or who are, you know, empaths with uh, bleeding hearts for the animals and all of the other individuals who are treated as less than by a society that arbitrarily decides who gets to be perceived as less than. For those people, self-care, where do you even begin? Because I I, I don't want to alienate anyone who just, you know, reads the articles about self-care and then they just throw their hands up in the air like, I don't know where to start. Where, where do you even start? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can totally relate to um, everything you described. You know, I definitely can get very overwhelmed and emotional about many the many things that are happening in the world fairly quickly and so um it's really important for me to prioritize self-care and prior to this year honestly I was not doing that at all I was definitely the person reading the articles and wishing you know I could make it happen but I realized that there was something kind of toxic um about you know the, the notion that you can be too busy for yourself, right? And I think that that was what happened to me last year. I had so much going on. I was 
writing my book and, and doing everything for my book and um, shooting photos and scheduling things for that and then traveling a lot and speaking a lot and just it was so much and um, I just felt like I did not have time for myself and that really made an very negative impact on my mental health and I was struggling because I just didn't I didn't prioritize me and so I started to really reframe just how I was thinking about everything realizing that it was unacceptable to not have time and space for myself and that self-care also does not have to be this you know, this like (laughs) glamorized thing at all. Self-care is any moment in which you can find, um, you know, peace or joy or doing something that feels good. And it really doesn't have to be, you know, an hour long yoga class or like a spa day or anything like that. It's really at this point, the, you know, the very tip of the iceberg in terms of what is defined as self-care. And so I had to just kind of figure out like, okay, what is, you know, wellness to me? What does well-being feel like? How does it show up in my life um, in the little ways? And just how can I prioritize that extra five minutes to, you know, just write a gratitude journal or uh, extra five minutes to make sure that I, you know, have things set up for my morning that make me, you know, more productive or have less of a cluttered mind, like just writing out what I need to do or accomplish. And so it was just like these little moments of mindfulness and and tuning into what I actually need versus what is, you know, the narrative pushed on to us about self-care and figuring out what does that mean for me. And so I think that for many of us who are overwhelmed and feel kind of helpless, I think it's important to understand that we always have the answer within us of, of what is what is needed. And sometimes we're just afraid to listen. And I think that was also something that I struggled with. I was afraid that I had the answer and I knew that it would take a little bit of work to really make it happen. But I was like, you know what, this needs to happen. It's not overwhelming. I can figure it out. That's when I was able to do so. And so I I hate to simplify it so much, but I think a lot of the changes and decisions that we make um, are really just boil down to a choice. I mean, that's what veganism is for many of us. And I think that if we can, you know, go vegan, we absolutely can figure out how to craft our lives to, you know, include space for self-care and reflection and just some tender moments throughout the day like I think that is, that that is, is something that can be approachable and then I think it all sounds like fi- figuring out what's within your means and not overcoming it either that is such good advice and such good insight and it's something I'm really taking to heart because it's true I think it's a good reminder self-care can actually be like taking a deep breath and mm-hmm. and in that deep breath like saying whatever you want to you know, whatever affirmation makes sense. And maybe the affirmation is just the words self-care, like self-care, self-care, self-care for one breath or, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm so busy. I'm sure it's some kind of neuroses that I'm so busy, but I take a shower every day and I'm trying right now to like turn my shower into like, you know, a very nice sanctuary for me with a, a shower radio tuned into this radio station I like and a nice blue square, like calming light that I put next to the top. Things like that can actually be a way that even the most busy among us 
can prioritize self-care. And I'm also a fan of community care, which is a Mm -hmm. term that Patrice Cullors, who's one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, as as you and a lot of our listeners know, coined this term community care, especially within activist circles, like what you do and what we do here at our hen house and our flock, who's our supporters. Community care is like just going above and beyond and ensuring that our community is is taking care of themselves and what do you need and how can I support you and how can I be of service? So absolutely, I, I appreciate all of this. And you mentioned your book, which is another thing I've been excited to chat with you about. I, I have it and it's phenomenal. Haley, congratulations. Yeah. Your Thank first you. book. <laughs> I anticipate it's your first of many, many, yeah. many. <laughs> so t- tell us about Living Lively. Sure. Yeah. So um, Living Lively is, I like to call it an empowerment cookbook. And essentially it's kind of merging these worlds of, um, you know, plant-based vegan cooking and and wellness and all of the other elements that impact our overall overall well-being. And so um, it includes something called the seven points of power, which highlights seven different areas that we can nurture and nourish in order to really activate our fullest potential to fuel that. And so those seven points are wellness, thoughts and mindset, relationships, social media and societal influences, education, world perspective and creativity and community. It's always a miracle when I remember all I was going to say, you've had your coffee this morning. I was going to say, have you ever just been listing them and like, I don't remember the last one. I've done that so many times and it's (laughs) so embarrassing that I'm like, it's fine. Um, But yeah, so those seven points of power, I think are, are areas that deeply impact our well-being, our mindset, the way that we show up in the world and show up for ourselves, right? And I think that in just diving into these areas, which is what this section of the book is all about, it has like journaling prompts and uh, reflection moments for you to have as we talk through what it means to utilize social media in a purposeful way and not make it, you know, use you or drain your energy? How do you find ways to um, be intentional with that usage and to put purpose into um, how you show up through that platform? Or how do your, you know, ideas of education or success limit your potential and, and limit how you step into the world? And so it's a lot of those things. It's very much something that will cause like a journey of just really getting to know your inner self and this idea of, you know, nourishing from within and empowering from within is just runs through, you know, the core of this book. And then of course there are 80 uh, vegan recipes in here to really just spark joy and to provide Mm -hmm. nourishment and they're just fun and, and my favorites over the years. And, you know, I think it's, it's so cool to see, all of these things exist in a book and it's been awesome um, to receive, see that the book is received in the way that I had intended. And uh, it feels very, very nice to to have it out in the world. Finally, there's nothing like a three dimensional book that like you hold in your hands. I mean, I love social media and digital media and all of that, but there's nothing quite like when, when the book arrives in the mail and you see it for the first time. I I had that experience with my first book. I have another book coming out in a couple months and I'm like waiting, waiting, waiting to see the first sneak peek. And when I go and I look 
at the mailbox, like, did it, did it arrive today? I think of you because you documented what it was like <laughs> to, ar- to get your book for the first time, which is so adorable and like w- made me well up with tears. Can you describe what it was like the first time uh, and what was happening for you then? Yeah. Well, yeah, as as an, you know, quote unquote overshare on social media, um, <laughs> I thought, okay, like, let's document me, you know, opening my my book for the first time and, and seeing it for the first time. And so, I mean, yeah, it was just so surreal to, as you said, to see it as like a 3D object uh, for so long. It was like, you know, a word doc and right. I had eventually seen it like in the, the page like proofing and color proofing and everything, but it was still not, you know, a a full book. And so when I got it in the mail, I just, and when I was holding it and and looking through it, like I just was getting so many flashbacks. I think it was just like a wave of emotions and and relief in a lot of ways. This project was taken, you know, a couple of years and so much happened to to make it happen. And um, so many beautiful people were, involved in a part of it. And I just, yeah, I just had this like overwhelming gratitude come over me and just remembering all the struggles and all the joys of it and just how much I had grown through that experience as well. And so it was just really humbling and and beautiful moment and one of my favorites in life so far for sure. And yeah, uh, yeah, like you said, it's so cool to just have something out in the world that goes beyond the digital space. Um, I think we can kind of produce a lot in the digital space and not very much in like the, the 3d world. So, yeah. Okay. But I want to go back to you saying you're an oversharer on social media because I follow you and I don't like, I don't, I, I think that I always look forward to your posts because I don't take it in as an oversharer, but I do take it in as like, Oh, it's Haley. I know Haley. Like I've, this is the first time we're talking, like actually talking, but I feel like I know you and I, what I love about you and what you do with your platform, which is a big one, is that you bring people in. Like on your website, I think it it says, "Let's grow together," and I and you clearly mean it. Like you are, you're like, "Hey, I'm 19. We're doing this together. I don't really know everything about the world yet, but I'm going to figure it out and let you know what I'm figuring out on my social media as it's happening. And along the way, you're inspiring people to take better care of themselves and to take better care of the planet and the animals by getting animal products out of their diet. So like, what is that like for you? I'm curious what it is like to be a young person who has a giant social media account. When things happen in your life, is your first instinct like, let me record this? <laughs> like, what is the division? I'm just like, yeah. let, let me know. I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that it's been really interesting because even before like my social media platforms really only recently has it grown a lot but yeah before all of this like social media and and the way that I use it now you know I was still very much used to sharing my life but it would be like through you know talks or or things like that of course it was not to the depth of what I do now but I think I've just kind of grown up with like this comfort in speaking, you know, some level of, of my truth. And that has just expanded as I've gotten older and have realized the importance of really 
you know, just being fully who I am, being vulnerable and, and, and genuine and intentional with everything that I create and put out. And so, you know, at first I think it just hasn't been overwhelming because it's been a very like gradual and and beautiful natural pace in which everything has grown. And so, you know, there was a lot of um, new people joining my community earlier this year with like, you know, the Amplify Black Voices movement and everything. And that was definitely very overwhelming, but I think that my um, comfort in just sharing my life and what I'm learning and, uh, and, you know, what I'm observing that it may be needed in the world, whatever that may be like messaging or inspiration. That was definitely not something that I did uh, prior to maybe like two years ago. I was very much convinced that I had to show up um, especially in the vegan space, a certain way that it was like only people cared about, you know, my recipes and not much else. I couldn't be political or, or have very, you know, different opinions. I wanted to keep everyone happy and comfortable in the space. And then I just started to feel really unfulfilled by all of it. I was like, it really doesn't matter if I put out another acai bowl recipe out of like the millions that exist. And, or, you know, if I, it just started feeling kind of pointless. Um, and I was following this model that was very unfulfilling and all about the numbers and just engagement. And there was no depth to it at all. And I was feeling very lost within that world of, um, you know, what is expected of a quote unquote influencer. And, you know, I really don't like that word either because I think that it applies to all of us. We're all influencers in every moment we interact with someone. And so just the whole concept, I, continuously uh struggle with but yeah I just started feeling pretty lost in it and so I thought okay you know what what do I have to lose I'm just gonna not post anything about food for like two years and just see how it goes and see how it feels to really share my voice and to form deeper connections with the people who have invested their you know time into my journey and story and words and content and just really make it feel like they're they're valued and to really create this redefinition of of what an influencer is or what a social media community can look like and so I've just been pretty much breaking a lot of social media rules for the past few years and just getting to know myself through being very vulnerable and uh, I think for me a lot of times like my posts are are like processing moments for me. It's, it's when I'm able to really process whatever's happening in my life or whatever we're going through collectively. And so I feel like sometimes it's like a journal entry in a way, but I get to talk about it with, with other people and it's really, really cool. But <laughs> yeah, you just, it just occurred to me while you were talking that I work with some influencers in my life. I know some influencers. I've interviewed some interview influencers. And it just occurred to me while you were talking that my favorite ones are the ones who are sort of dubious about like being an influencer. <laughs> I think that's like the common thread here is like those who are like, I'm an influencer. Right. Uh, those are <laughs> like, no, I, I'm not going to be interested in, in what you're posting because it's coming from a place of like, will I get likes as opposed to like, yeah, like it or don't. It's up to you, but this is who I am. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, that is very not only a, a appealing but it you know you can relate to it like I can relate to being able to think things through as you are and as you're putting them out there and so I appreciate that um 
So uh, I have so many more questions and we're almost out of time, but, but I hope you stay on for our bonus content. I have a, I, I want to know about meeting Michelle Obama, but I'll save it for the, the bonus content in a few minutes for our flock to hear. So Haley, just real quick, like a few of your favorite recipes from the book. Okay. I would say my favorites are the oven fried mushrooms. You had me at oven fried mushrooms. I'm already like, I'm already Um, like wanting to make that. Maybe I'll make that later. I have your book right over here. Yeah. She said, (laughs) oh, the gluten-free like Sunday morning biscuits. I love those. Mm -hmm. Also the, this is so hard. Oh, the, um, like (laughs) garlic, the beet pasta, um, beet pasta with garlicky greens. Oh, that's that sounds awesome. <laughs> and the Islander Lively Bowl. That's a a major favorite. It wasn't in, in the summer uh, when the book oh. came out. Everybody was making that. Oh, cool. All right. Well, I, I will flag those recipes and start with those. So b- before we finish, I want to know what gives you hope, especially in this world and in this in in the heaviness around us right now. What gives you hope? I think what gives me hope is I think it's this realization that a lot of what is happening right now, a lot of the destruction and, you know, very much terrifying and and traumatic events, like a lot of it is, is I perceive as, you know, catalyst for change. It's what is waking people up to the, you know, the instability of our system, our world, the, the foundation of, you know, uh, capitalism and exploitation and how that has completely, you know, rip the soul of so many, you know, away from them. And we're very much disconnected from the heart of who we are, right? But in order to recognize that, um, we have to see the ways in which the most valuable parts of us are not valued in our society. And so that's what this year has really represented for me. You know, it's been tragic, absolutely. I've had, you know, family members impacted by COVID and um, luckily, you know, no tragedies, but it's, you know, very much real what's happening, of course. But I think that it's also been an incredible year for this this vision of of the the world as it is and and what the world can be and this opportunity for an inner vision of who we are and how we operate in our society and how we treat ourselves and how we can be more rooted in purpose and more rooted in compassion and how we can just be more intentional with the ways that we impact each other and so that said, I think it it gives me hope to see people interpreting the events that are unfolding in, in this similar way and, and to see so much self-growth happening, so much acknowledgement of the beautiful, just like abundance of creativity and love and joy within each of us and how we can really lean into a community care, as you said, but starting with our self-care. And there's just this mass, like, I feel like, awakening to a certain point of really just realizing like what the world is right now and and, and figuring out how we can find those answers by going within. And so that gives me hope just to see people being more vulnerable, being more authentic, speaking their truths, um, challenging, you know, current systems and, and just 
questioning everything that we we have right now and, and how we operate. And so I think in that questioning and just in that um, analyzation of, of the world that we are operating in, I think that is kind of the beginning of, of change that is truly tangible because I feel like before this year, a lot of the movements that we've you know, participate in have been very surface level, but there's been this kind of interconnectedness that has emerged through all of the events that have unfolded. So whether that's, you know, within the vegan movement of expanding compassion beyond, you know, just animals and to, you know, fellow human beings and to connect that, you know, the vegan movement and, and compassion to, you know, social justice issues or, you know, within the environmental movement, how that's deeply connected to uh, social justice issues as well. And, you know, zero waste lifestyle connecting to, you know, going against capitalism and all of these things. And it's been so cool to just see this like interwoven movement happening where we're realizing that all of these things impact each other. And so I think from this basis is, is where we can take action, but it's so important for us to continue to hold ourselves accountable and to, you know, share our journeys of learning and failing and growing. And I think that just allows others to be open to that inner evolution as well. A hundred percent. Oh, so well said. I'm going to, I'm going to just listen to that answer over and over again, I feel like. So Haley, can you please tell our listeners how they can find you online and support your efforts and get your book? Sure. So my main platform right now is Instagram, but um, that is changing soon. And so mm. you can find me on Instagram at Haley Thomas and my nonprofit at The Happy Org. I don't do Twitter or anything like that. It overwhelms me. So um, <laughs> you can find my work and more about it, HaleyVThomas.com. I have a few recipes up on there as well. Um, my nonprofit's TheHappyOrg.org. And for my book, Living Lively, you can find it anywhere books are sold. So your typical sellers, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, but also some independent booksellers have the book available as well. Um, like Book Larder is the bookstore I love. So yeah, just Living Lively by Haley Thomas. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Please stay on for a few more minutes because I want to chat with you for our bonus content. But I am such a big fan of yours. I was before this interview and now it's just elevated even more so because you really do give me hope and and I love your work. I love your approach. All of it resonates with me. So thanks for joining us today in our hen house. Thank you. Did you know that you can dedicate a podcast episode to someone you love? For $200, you can not only honor a loved one, human or non, but at the same time support our hen house's efforts to change the world for animals. As a bonus, we'll throw in a one-year flock membership. Our Hen House is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we rely on contributions to support our efforts to change the world for animals. We've been on the air every single week without missing one since January 2010. For more information on how to donate an episode and support vital independent media, please visit ourhenhouse.org slash donate. Anxieties are rising. Our first story is from Beef Daily, my favorite column in Beef Magazine. It's all beef all the time. This is by Amanda Radke. Anti-meat agenda ramps up during COVID-19 crisis. Uh, I hope that's true. So it's been a while, Amanda says, since I've last gauged a, a pulse of the activities and positions of animal rights activists, fake meat investors, and vegan proponents. 
Nothing they do really surprises me anymore. However, the external threat to take meat, dairy, and eggs off the dinner table and strip ranchers and cattle off the land still exists, whether we acknowledge it or not. Again, have to hope that's true. And uh, this is one of her articles in which she summarizes a bunch of articles she has found online that show how great the threat is. PETA buys stock in racetrack in attempt to change horse racing practices. This is uh, uh, an article on News 5 ABC Cleveland. What does that have to do with the beef industry? <laughs> it just shows that they just hate anything that has to do with helping animals. All right. Uh, next article. Rising demand for meat drives pandemic risk, as well as biodiversity loss and climate change, study says. This is by Finlay Wynn for Thomson Reuters Foundation. And I really, really do hope that this does indicate that there is more recognition of of all the many risks presented by meat production, that uh, the pandemic is showing us that there's a huge additional one in, in addition to all the ones that we're constantly talking about. Lewin writes, policymakers should consider levying taxes on livestock production and meat consumption to reduce the risk of future deadly pandemics, international experts said as they published a study calling for better protection of nature. We'll have a little bit more on this idea later uh, in this segment. So that is an idea that it has the industry a little wacky. Taxes on livestock production. We've heard of that before, but I feel like, I feel like, uh, you know, the pandemic may have made that argument a lot stronger. Still eating meat? Don't be shocked if we face a future of pandemics. This is by Anat Georgi for Herat's Israel News. And um, yeah, another article about the pandemics. This this idea does seem to be catching on. Apparently, Georgi writes, the coronavirus crisis has begun to raise questions about the connection between meat consumption and pandemics. Yeah. <laughs> the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says animals are the source of 75% of infectious diseases. That doesn't surprise me at all, but I bet it surprises a lot of people. She goes on to say, most of those animals are consumed or traded by human beings such as swine, fowl, and wild animals. Yeah, well, you know, the wild animals has permeated a little bit into the public consciousness, but this idea that that uh, pandemics are rooted in factory farming, that is an important idea that is really ignored completely and maybe not as completely anymore. Yeah, Amanda's right to be upset. Next article she talks about, is coronavirus accelerating the growth of plant-based meat? This is from Food Dive. And, and Jan Dutkowicz, who is a postdoctoral fellow at Concordia University, is quoted in this article as saying, I think disrupting that model means not even full replacement. Well, I would like full replacement, Jan. But just getting enough people to stop consuming that product to the point where that business model is no longer viable. That is a great point. See, in the middle, I thought, well, that not full replacement is not good enough. But then he goes on to say, yeah, but, you know, at some point they can't stay in business anymore. That that is a goal worth keeping. Fifth article that she talks about, the animal protection movement is everything that woke activism isn't. This is by Matthew Scully, one of the most troubling <laughs> heroes of the animal rights movement, who wrote, of course, the great book Dominion, who writes for the National Review. He, he's always had a hard time putting these two movements together and you know I'll give him I'll give him credit for for caring about animals. Uh, one of the things he points out here is that environmentalists just don't care about elephants. This is the first thing I've heard about that. Like I wish people cared about farm animals more than they 
They they do. But elephants seem to be an animal that, that both environmentalists and animal protection advocates really do care about. So what the hell is he talking about? But according to him, elephants remain as persecuted as ever by poachers serving the Asian ivory market and by what President Trump memorably called the horror show of Western trophy hunters, which I think um, includes his sons, if I recall correctly. His sons are trophy hunters. And, um, you know, it may not be the be the fault of the animal rights activists and the environmentalists that elephants remain as persecuted as ever. Like, maybe it's somebody else's fault, not ours. And maybe it's President Trump's fault, actually, because, you know, he extended protection and then withdrew it. These creatures, he goes on to say, are not only among the most wonderful intelligent on Earth. Well, okay, I'll, I'll agree with that. They're also a keystone species whose travails have grievous ecological costs. Again, thank you. Absolutely right. Yet from our progressive environmentalists, for years we have heard practically nothing about the problem because they're too busy redirecting economies, transforming global paradigms, calling out climate deniers and all the rest. Well, you know what? You can do both. And from everything I've seen, they do do both. All right. That's Amanda's uh, roundup of the, the terrifying news. And we also have an article on taxing meat. This is from Drovers.com. Taxing meat, a fool's errand. This is by Greg Henderson. And uh, this is, again, uh, about this report on the Intergovernmental Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, which claims that cows are bad for the environment. But with a new twist, cows also make future pandemics worse. See, this is definitely becoming a new theme. Uh, Maybe because it's the truth and we're all dying. That could be the reason. But um, according to this article uh, by Greg Henderson, the study warned that pandemics will emerge more often, spread faster, cost more, and kill more people than COVID-19 without bold action to halt the habitat destruction that helps viruses hop from wildlife to humans. And, you know, obviously they make the connection, pretty obvious connection, I would say, between um, livestock production and meat consumption and propose attacks. Rubbish, you say? No, I don't say rubbish, Greg. Well, Greg says rubbish. He points out some uh, a, a remark made by Dutch scientist Tease Kuken, sorry, who said there's a new generation out there who are willing to make those personal decisions that will lead to a more sustainable lifestyle. And we're hoping that's going to save our planet in terms of biodiversity loss, climate change and pandemic risk. I would say it's not just a new generation who are willing to make personal decisions. We have to make systemic decisions. But even this, um, of course, is upsetting. Greg, the writer of the article, agrees that this is true, that these younger demographics are more willing to make lifestyle and diet changes. The problem is, is that they're wrong. They, uh, these, this isn't a viable solution. We shouldn't tax meat, especially if we hope to feed the 10 billion people that will inhabit this planet in 30 years. No, according to him, we should increase meat production. Um, and according to Frank Mitloiner, who, as we know, is the favorite scientist of the meat industry, producing less meat and milk will only mean more hunger in poor countries, he says. This is obviously not true. Like we've seen it a million times over. This is a produce, production of meat and milk is a horrific way to feed people. And you can feed far more people with plant production. But, you know, no, they're not going to they're not going to uh, stop. They want this is the me- this to be the message that young people hear. Global livestock production, meat and milk, is critical to the health and prosperity of many in developing countries and plays a role in the diet and health of those countries that are already developed. 
bullshit. Meat's bad for you. Milk is really bad for you. And, you know, is is like uh, an allergen to a vast majority of the world's population. But no, uh, they just won't give it up. Well, I guess they can't. Meet the fashion police. This is from the Center for Consumer Freedom. I guess it's by... No, it doesn't have an individual author. I'm sorry. I thought it did. A choice is fashionable, they start out. Imposing an ideology on businesses, designers, and consumers? Not so much, especially when there could be an environmental cost. Uh, Okay. Choice isn't really... Like, what does that mean? Let's start out at the beginning. Let's go back. Choice is fashionable. Choice between what and what is fashionable? This is what they're always, you know, arguing that, that fine, if you don't wear away fur, you don't have to wear fur, but you shouldn't impose on somebody else's choice. It's not the animal's choice. Consider what the animal's choice is. You cannot leave them out of the equation. They are conscious beings. They make choices too. And you completely take away every choice they've ever had in their life. But he's not specifically talking about fur. They're kind of used to that. They're talking about how PETA and other groups have um, increased the attacks on wool and leather. They really don't like this because these are really big industries. And also they are they are side industries of the meat production. So, you know, we're talking big time money. Animal radicals want to ban everyone from the choice of using animal products. The activists are not anti-wool or anti-fur. They are anti-animal product. Actually, yeah, that's true. That's entirely true. Uh, so I have no objection to the point that he's trying to make. And then, of course, um, he goes on to, well, he identifies the main radicals that he's frightened of. PETA, direct action everywhere, HSUS. But then his real point is how these synthetic materials that they're um, replacing wool and leather with are, are bad for the environment. And you know what? I, I think that's probably true. I think natural materials, not, you know, not animal based, but uh, and not even necessarily natural, just biodegradable materials are the direction in which we should be heading. Coincidentally, they are the direction in which we are heading. This is not an issue of which uh, people interested in, in building better fabrics are, are unaware of. Think of all of the, the waste agricultural products that they're making leather out of these days. Apparently, you can make leather out of anything. So there's absolutely no reason to make them out of plastic. And I think that that whole side of the business is dying. It is not mean that we should go back to the hideously environmentally damaging and cruel products that they replaced. It means that we are going to have new replacements. And I couldn't be more excited. Synthetic materials are typically made from plastics. Well, you know, maybe, uh, how, how do you define synthetic here? The f- point is, is that is that many, many materials nowadays are not made of plastics, are not environmentally destructive. So let's let's all move into the future together, folks. If that's your problem, we can fix it. And that's it for this week's Rising Anxieties. Well, that's it for this week's show. If you like the podcast, we're asking for your support as we kick off our end of year fundraising. We're excited to announce that if you contribute between now and December 31st, your donation will be tripled dollar for dollar up to $20,000. That means that with your donation, plus our Barnyard Benefactors and an added boost from an anonymous donor, we're hoping to raise $60,000 total for the year end. That's $20,000 from our Barnyard Benefactors, $20,000 from an anonymous donor, and $20,000 collectively from you. If you're not already part of the flock, we invite you to join for $10 a month or $100 a year. 
You'll get some really cool perks, including weekly bonus content, access to our private Flock Facebook group, and an invitation to our weekly Friday Flock Zoom meetings for a fun and engaging conversation with me and Marianne and others in the Flock, plus special guests. Plus, if you donate $100 or more, I'll send you a personalized video message to show you my undying love and gratitude. So if you appreciate our hen house and if you believe in our mission to effectively mainstream the movement to end the exploitation of animals, if you find community and solace in our shows and our resources, and if you believe in the change-making power of indie media, please make a donation before December 31st and your donation will be tripled. Contributions of any amount are greatly appreciated. To support us today, visit ourhenhouse.org slash donate. That's ourhenhouse.org slash donate. Another great way to support us is to leave us a fabulous review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or like us on Facebook. You could also leave us a review there. Or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Our Hen House across the board. If you shop on Amazon, you can use Amazon Smile using Our Hen House as your favorite charity. And we do get those uh, disbursements and they help a lot. So thank you for those of you who do. And of course, tell your friends about us. Tell your enemies about us. If you're one of our listeners who already supports us, thank you so much. And thank you to my co-host, Marianne Sullivan, and to the wonderful Jen Riley for her work in producing this podcast, and to composer Michael Herron for the music. Thanks to Podcast Haven for their work editing this podcast, and to our production assistant, Jocelyn Martinez. Thanks to our graphic designer, Lori Johnston from Two Trick Pony. We will be back next week with a brand new show. So don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. My name is Jasmine Singer. Thank you so much for tuning in and be safe out there. Social distance, stay home, wash your hands and listen to podcasts. <laughs>